Welcome to episode 9 of the Dreamcast, a podcast created by the students of the Otis Music Camp in Macon, Georgia. Each week, the Dreamcast will feature stories and conversations with exceptional artists from our hometown of Macon, Georgia, and around the world. This week, we spoke with internationally acclaimed orchestral conductor Roderick Cox. Roderick shared with us his journey from Macon to Germany, including the instrumental role Mrs. Zelma Redding and Carla Redding Andrews played in his music education and in supporting his dreams. He spoke of his process, his gratitude, and his own initiative, the Roderick Cox Initiative, supporting youth in the pursuit of their musical aspirations, just as the Otis Redding Foundation supported him. We began our interview with an introduction. Hi, I'm Roderick Cox. I live in Berlin. I'm a classical musician. How did you get in touch with Ms. Carlo or Ms. Zoma and with the Otis Redding Foundation? Well, I've um, I've known Carla Redding and Zelma Redding for, it seems, since I was 17 years old. Um, Zelma Redding was very influential in um, helping me further my music education when I decided I wanted to um, go to school to pursue a degree in music education, I needed an instrument. I was a French horn player at the time. And um, Zelma Redding heard about my story and my desires to pursue music seriously. And the Otis Redding Foundation uh, purchased my first French horn. Uh, my first musical instrument that I could own and call my own. And then um, throughout the years, throughout my education, um, they continued to support me. And and um, after I graduated from, from college and received my education, I continued to work alongside Carla and Zelma Redding for their singer-songwriting uh, camp annually each, each summer. And... Um, just many other um, outreach and engagement activities. So we're, they're like family. When did you decide that you wanted to start conducting? I knew I wanted to study conducting seriously when I was a, probably a junior or a senior in, 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 um, in my undergraduate studies, my bachelor's degree. But you study conducting more formally as um, in your master's program and so there was a time in my junior junior year of college where I had to make the decision to uh, pursue conducting. But I it was I went to Northwestern University in Chicago to 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 study conducting with um, some pretty well known conducting teachers. Um, but when I was there, I decided I wanted to pursue a career in. Um, to become a professional orchestral conductor, and um, and so it was it, the decision to become a conductor is actually quite late, I think. Um, so I was in my early twenties at the time. Roderick, uh, what was it that drew you in to orchestral conducting? Um, well, I think what's fascinating about um, studying conducting and especially orchestral conducting is is this uh, amazing responsibility of being able to um, mold multiple sounds. You're not responsible for just one instrument line. If you play the first violin or first flute or clarinet, you're usually responsible for your line, your specific notes. But 
as a conductor, we conduct for, we, we, our music has everyone's parts in it, and it's called a score. And so we're able to see the flutes, the oboes, the clarinets, the violins, all of those lines at once. And when we read the score, it's our job to try to hear all of those sounds at once in our head. And so um, we spend lots of time studying languages and studying the composers and the history and the background uh, and the context of the music to um, to to develop a an interpretation um, of the music, and I think that's that's a really fascinating thing because um, it's your job to then mold the sound of the orchestra and and take the the styles and the history of the composer and the time in which the piece was written and put that into context and also apply some of your own experiences um, to deciding how how the music should go what is the vision what is your unified vision for the music do you have a do you have a clear highlight something you kind of identify as a, a real high point in your career so far um there there are a number of highlights i think that um stick out for me and it just depends on where I was in, in that time of my life. Um, my, I remember I remember winning my first job with the Alabama Symphony and then re remember winning a job with the Minnesota Orchestra which was an amazing highlight in my career and um, conducting my first full classical music concert with that orchestra, with a professional orchestra like the Minnesota Orchestra was a wonderful um, achievement for me. And, and um, I suppose winning a, a one of the largest conducting prizes called the George Schulte Conducting Prize in the US, which led me to move to Berlin, Germany and, and um, make a life for myself here. And so there've been some, some wonderful, um, some wonderful highlights in my career that I that I um, that I certainly cherish that it, that have really influenced my my approach and my um, humility and, and love for for music. So many great artists go to go to end up in Germany. I don't know. Is that was that? Can you compare the the support for the classical classical music in Germany as opposed to the United States? I mean, do you find it more of a just more of an active music scene there. Well, I think there's there's so much great music in America, and America is so is responsible for um, many of the genres of music that are that's very widely um, loved and respected around the world, from from jazz to R and B to hip hop to rock and roll to um, to the blues and so forth. Um, but classical music has has had its origins in in Western European society and um, and has been here before the United States was established. So you have this sort of deep cultural and traditional um, uh, traditional um, attitude and atmosphere um, and love and appreciation for for music. Um, for classical music, for operas, you have these old institutions, old houses, opera houses, old concert halls, and many of the great composers that 
um, wrote for um, the genre of classical music are from Europe and especially Germany. And so it's definitely a huge music scene here. Lots of lots of concerts, lots of orchestras, lots of operas. Roderick, when you were uh, speaking earlier, what drew you to become an orchestral conductor? It sounded very art-centered. It sounded like you were like painting on a canvas, like you're putting this artwork together and you're pulling these different elements together. Um, and so I'm wondering specifically, um, do you have a favorite piece to conduct? And what, and if so, what is your experience when you're like, walk us through your process of preparation and when you're on the stage when you are conducting that piece? Well, um, I think sometimes the piece that uh, that's my most favorite to conduct is the piece I'm conducting at that particular time with that orchestra, orchestra in that week. I feel that so if I'm conducting a Beethoven symphony, my focus is purely on um, that symphony um, throughout this process of, of, of preparing it for performance. It is my favorite piece. It is what I am spending most of my time thinking about and, and worshiping this piece and trying to, to know it as best as I can and figure out how to deliver it. I imagine it is as if, you know, if you're a famous, uh, you're Serena Williams playing tennis, you know, with everything you've accomplished, I suppose, that that one match that you're playing at that specific time is the most important match right now. It's the one you must win. And so, um, but the music that, um, music continues to evolve. Sometimes I'm really in the mood of listening to um, symphonies by Brahms or I'm, I'm very much into listening to Tchaikovsky and want to conduct Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky and sometimes Shostakovich, and so there's there's so many different um, <laughs> composers that, depending on my the time of year or my mood or my maturity, that I feel uh, I gravitate towards. But in terms of my process of preparing, um, I feel like it can certainly take months, depending on what you're preparing. Um, so, for example, I'm preparing a new opera. Um, which takes about six or seven, seven, seven hours of my day of just like focusing on this opera. And with an opera is very different than a symphony because you have a story you must tell. And so you have um, what would be lyrics that the voice must sing or a libretto. And so you have to dive into um, what are these characters? Um, what, what's the development of these characters? Uh, what's their backstory, and um, what's the story we need to convey in this music, and how does sound uh, connect to the to the text? And so, text really drives the study process for uh, preparing an opera and learning, obviously, the style and and learning how singers uh, may uh, approach a certain passage, how they may want to breathe or um, or where they might need to breathe and how fast or slow it should be. All of those sorts of things go into mind in preparing an opera. But obviously a symphony, you have no voices really in most 
uh, symphonies. And so you can focus very intensely on instrumental colors of the violins and the oboes and, the, and I'm sorry, the woodwinds and the brass and percussion. Um, and just the, the, I suppose, the, the genre of writing for symphonies and, and the whole uh, more compact uh, structural design of a symphony um, takes a, a different type, type of concentration and focused uh, um, than an opera where you have many other things going on in an opera. Lots of people are performing from memory and there are people running around on stage as you know and there's the scenes and the props you have to deal with and um and so that's there's a lot more you must control in those situations and i think you also must prepare yourself to be much more flexible for what can be thrown um your way for this sort of theatrical genre versus um preparing a, a symphony or a concerto you talk a little bit about your music initiative you have a, a an initiative uh in your name that give scholarships to students and it's kind of giving back to the community is that right uh yes i i um this is an initiative called the Roderick cups music initiative that i started in 2018 which was designed um it was it was inspired by the oldest reading foundation's um support for me which is to provide instruments or funding for young people who um, have the desire to pursue music uh, either professionally or um, advance their studies as as high school students and so um, through through the funding we're able to send students to to music camps over the summer to study with um, world-renowned uh, teachers or if they if their instruments need uh, repairing or if they um, want to participate participate in their local uh, youth orchestra, um, we help out with the tuition. And also there's this, this connection or mentorship with me where I um, am able to speak with them and answer questions about life in, in classical music. It is a musical initiative to help further the the educational studies of, of young musicians of color. What would you tell a student who, a student who wanted to get kind of follow your path? What's the if you have a, maybe a student who's playing an instrument but has a, a love of conducting or wants to kind of pursue that path? What would be the what would be a good step? My advice would be if you have an instrument that you're playing um, and if you're involved in musical ensembles, I would say really focus on trying to become the best musician you can possibly um, become. Really focus on your skills and your um, developing your talent and recognizing that this is a, um, being an artist and being a, a musician is a process that's always evolving and all you're doing now is laying the foundations by uh, listening to your teachers and, and studying your instrument as intensely as you can um, because one day you'll become your most important teacher and your best teacher. Um, there is no rush to becoming a, a conductor. A conductor is something that happens at the very end, I feel, of your um, 
your your studies in music. Um, but I would I would certainly um, I would certainly suggest if that is your goal that you must go after it 100% without any wavering and believe in yourself. You have to be, I think, incredibly hungry, incredibly hungry, um, in there, in order to be successful and um, whatever success is. But I think advance in this profession because it is elusive. It's one that is rigorous and it's one you have to chart your own journey and and push yourself and and um, your determination um, within yourself is what's going to uh, get you ahead. I think I think a, a sense of focus because I think what we find with a lot of young people these days is they they try their they try their hands in so many different things. Oh, I. I want to play this, and I want to do that, and I want to do that, and I want to do that, versus really focusing on one thing and and um, doing that at the very best of your ability, because I think that's what it takes um, to have a career as a as a professional musician is to be an expert, and 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 an expert usually applies to one specific thing. A, a, you can't be an expert heart surgeon and an expert brain surgeon at the same time, you know. And and I think that's the um, that can be applied to the focus it takes to become a professional music, uh, professional classical musician is um, the sense of training um, of understanding not only the traditions but also. Learning the languages, uh, Italian, German, French, or whatnot, and and reading a lot, but also practicing a great deal to um, to develop your talent. I'm over here taking my own notes. <laughs> Jocelyn, do you have any more questions? <laughs> You've conducted at several different operas and theaters. Do you have a favorite place or? opera slash theater that you performed at or just enjoyed? Um, that's something I, I don't think I can say. I, every experience, I try to take as much as I can from them. Um, it Everywhere I go, either is from Iceland to, to Paris to London or to New York or Minnesota or Texas, I always feel a great sense of um, honor and privilege to be invited to 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 travel and to work with different orchestras and different uh, companies. That's that's an amazing, humbling experience. And um, with each one, it teaches me a great deal about myself as a musician, as an artist, and it makes me even more. Um, I always, I, I suppose, I think you're I'm, you're only as good as your last performance, I suppose, and and I'm always thinking about what I could do better the next time, um, and continue to um, develop my skills even more. Um, I think one thing I've learned at this stage of my life, and that 
at this stage in my career is this understanding that you can't exchange there's nothing you can do to exchange experience experience gives you uh, no matter how much talent you have as a young person, I suppose, like your experience um, gives you a certain level of depth and understanding. Um, and that this is, uh, and that one should have a sense of patience for the idea that this is um, becoming an artist, being an artist is an ever evolving thing and an ever-evolving process and um, and it's a great humbling thing to have but how do you maintain a longevity in your career and your art and and try to deepen it and and like I said being you're you know I think you're the most important teacher for yourself at this time and um, each time I travel to a different place I find that teaches me a little bit more about um, myself and, and the art and what I need to do better. And what's and what's, what's next for you? Where I, I see on your I was looking at your schedule and you seem to be back in the in the states. I mean, I'm sure the the coronavirus thing is really you know every musician has been heavily affected by this. But um, what's on the horizon for you this coming year? Well, that's that is that is interesting. We should. <laughs> it seems like it's always sort of shifting with uh, mm -hmm. this virus, and so I will know more uh, in the next week in regards to if my my plans in January will will um, proceed ahead. Um, I'm recording a new opera uh, with the Washington National Opera. That's called Blue by the Tony winning uh, Tony award-winning composer Janine Tesori and this opera is um, it was it was recently written I think in 2000 premiered in 2019 and it's about the the police shooting of a of a unarmed uh, young man and so it's is very much an opera of its time with everything that's happened this year and um, uh, nationally and internationally with attention on um, justice and our justice system um, and so I'm very much looking forward to um, to presenting this opera and and getting to know it more and more but yes it seems like the the ground beneath our feet keeps uh, shifting and 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 evolving with COVID and so I hope to be able to to do that uh, in January, but we we shall see. I, I'm I'm hopeful. That sounds incredible. I hope, I hope it happens. This has been wonderful. It's been really educational. And so yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. I know you are in Germany, um, so you you know sliced out a bit of time in your evening for us. So I appreciate you um, coming through and talking to us on our our podcast. And like Matt said, I do hope that your project is able to go forward. Uh, you know, yeah, I just, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. It's good to see you and, and you all take care. Good to see you too. Take care, Roderick. Thank you for listening to episode nine of the Dreamcast. The Otis Redding Foundation would like to thank the following people and organizations for their continuous support. The Otis Redding Estate. The Otis Redding Foundation. The Knight Foundation. Georgia Council for the Arts, the Community Foundation of Central Georgia, 
the United Way of Central Georgia. The Dreamcast is produced by Matt Miller and Jamie Alawal, with student journalists Christopher Timothy, Jocelyn Rowley, Hayden Nichols, and Gina Branch. Our theme music was composed and performed by Zach Wilson. This episode also featured music from orchestras conducted by Roderick Cox. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Dreamcast.